The following sermon is by Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. Father, how we thank you this morning that we can sing from the innermost recesses of our heart. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Father, we thank you that we can sing that Jesus is the cornerstone, and that through the storm, he is with us every moment of every day. And so, Father, we've come this morning to worship you through your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray today that our worship of you would be pleasing, that you would accept it as a sweet aroma in the throne room of heaven. That, Father, from our heart you would see the joy that we have in a personal, intimate relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Take your Bible in hand and come with me to the New Testament book of Philippians. The New Testament book of Philippians. We'll be studying in just a moment from Philippians chapter 3, and we'll begin our study today in verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, and a moment we'll begin our study in verse 12. As you're turning, Charlene and I want to add our expressions of appreciation, as Mark did a moment ago, uh, for the many uh, cards and expressions of Merry Christmas and Happy New Year that you uh, shared with us. Uh, as we left the Christmas Eve service especially, uh, we were reading some of those cards together. And we thank you uh, for loving us and welcoming us during this interim season. So thank you so very much. I also want to call an attention uh, to a prayer resource that I want to challenge your family to use for the next 30 days. When you leave worship today, uh, on the welcome kiosk, you're going to see several stacks of this resource. Pray together, go together. It's a resource created by the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina to help North Carolina Baptists pray for the population of our state. 30-day resource each day as you open it. Uh, you'll turn, for instance, later this afternoon as you're uh, seated in your recliner, perhaps you'll turn to day one and what you're going to find is this. And day one, you're going to be encouraged to pray for Afghans. Did you know that all across the state of North Carolina, we have a large population of people from Afghanistan? We're going to ask you. There'll be a description of that people group. We'll ask you to pray for Afghans who live across the state of North Carolina. Then you're going to find what we call pockets of lostness. Pockets of lostness are large concentrations of unchurched people across our state. The Baptist State Convention have identified and mapped 250 of these pockets of lostness. So this afternoon, after you pray for the Afghans, you're going to be asked to pray for pocket 59, which is in Arden, North Carolina. And there'll be a description there for you to read about that area of our state. Here's what I want you to really remember. When you get to day 25, toward the end of your 30-day prayer time, you're going to be asked to pray for Hmong people from Central Asia who live across the state of North Carolina. 
And then you're going to be asked to pray for pocket 19. Did you know that pocket 19 is less than three miles from Emmanuel Baptist Church? Three miles from our congregation this morning, the 19th most significant pocket of unreached people in the entire state. And there you'll be encouraged to pray for them. So we have at least one per family, have enough for one per family. Pick yours up on the way out of worship today and begin using it today for the next 30 days as a part of your prayer time in your personal devotional life. You're at Philippians chapter 3. I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. You'll follow along reading silently as I read aloud, beginning with verse 12. Paul, imprisoned in Rome writes to the church at Philippi. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Father, help us to understand what we should be pressing on toward each and every day of our life this morning. Help us to understand this morning this goal in Paul's life that should be a goal in our life that we forget the past and we reach toward the future so that we might embrace this goal you have set for us. Lord, would you help us in 2020 to be like Christ? That is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. As you're being seated this morning, I'm, I'm taking a poll. It's not a scientific poll, but everybody takes polls these days, so I might as well take one also. I want to know how many of you made at least one New Year's resolution. If you made a New Year's resolution, would you, would you be bold enough to raise your hand? I see two, three, four, five. Well, I want you to know that you folks are below average. I just want you to know that. <laughs> Sociologists who study American culture tell us that in America, about 45% of the population each year makes some type of New Year's resolution. Now, you know what some of those are, to, to eat more healthy, to begin exercising, to read your Bible all the way through during the course of the year. All wonderful resolutions. 45% of our culture in America makes some type of New Year's resolution. Sociologists also tell us that of the 45% that make them, only 8% keep them over the course of the year. And 25% break their resolution the very first week of the new year. So if you've made it to today, you only have a few more days to at least get out of that block of shame of 25% who make a resolution and can't even keep it for seven days. This year, this morning, today, I want you to make a New Year's resolution much more significant than exercising, though we all should exercise, much more significant than eating in a healthy fashion, even more significant than reading your Bible through in the course of 2020 today. 
Today, I want you to make a resolution that in 2020, you're going to become more like Jesus than you've ever been in all of your life. That your goal, that that you strive for, that that you reach for is to be like Christ. That's what we find in this passage of Scripture from the Apostle Paul. He's, he's experiencing what's called his first Roman imprisonment. He's writing to the church at Philippi, and we discover that in these verses of Scripture, Paul says at this stage of his life, I want to be more like Jesus than I've ever been before. That's the resolution I hope you make today. To get us there, we need to spend some time reflecting this morning. So come with me to verse 13, and let's see Paul reflecting upon his life. Verse 13, brethren, you know from our Wednesday night study that this word brethren is a tender word that Paul uses. It's a word he uses when he wants to speak to his brothers and sisters in Christ. So he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the body of Christ. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself. The word regard there is a word that means to reflect upon. In the first century, it's actually an accounting term that means to take an inventory. We come to this moment in Paul's life. He's in his first Roman imprisonment, and he's paused long enough to take an inventory of his life. Now, you know what an inventory is. An inventory is an exercise to determine what's present and what's absent. I became familiar with inventories when I was a teenager. At age 16, like probably millions of boys in America, I got my very first job in a grocery store. Winn-Dixie Supermarket in our local hometown. I was the bag boy. In those days, you would bag groceries, and you would, you remember the paper bags in those days? And you actually carried the groceries out to the car for the person who was buying the groceries. And if you did a very good job, a quarter. I was so excited at 16 to get that quarter tip on top of about $1.95 an hour in those days. Well, I worked hard, got a promotion, and that promotion, I began to stock displays, and I got another promotion, and that sent me to the produce market. And then finally, I got a final promotion while I worked at Winn-Dixie. I had moved to the meat market for a part-time teenager to work in the meat market at Winn-Dixie. You had reached the top of your profession. <laughs> there I was with an assignment. Every Saturday evening, about 6 p.m., I was to take an inventory of the meat case. Now, not where the real meat was located, the roast and the steaks and the hamburger. Those were for the full-time guys to inventory. I, I was assigned the bacon and the luncheon meat and the cheese meat case. Do you know what happens at the end of a Saturday after 10,000 women have dug down to get the best strip of bacon they can get? It's a wreck. But every Saturday, I was to determine what's present and what's absent. What's present in that meat case that shouldn't be there? Inevitably, I would find a head of lettuce. Inevitably, I would find a can of soup. Inevitably, there'd be a frozen dinner that had thawed out because someone had come down the aisle and decided, I don't need that head of lettuce. I don't need that can of soup. And instead of putting it back where it belonged, it went where it didn't belong. I was looking to see what was present that shouldn't be there. And then I was looking to see what was absent that should be there. 
In, in a bacon case, you expect to find bacon. In the cheese section, you expect to find and so you take an inventory, what's present that shouldn't be there and what's there that must be removed and what's absent that needs to be put in its place to take an inventory. This morning, ladies and gentlemen, Paul is setting an example for us. Paul takes an inventory in his life, and it's what I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you to go home this afternoon and to take some time, some quiet time, get a large cup of coffee, if you will, sit down and begin to reflect, take an inventory of your life. What is present in your life that shouldn't be there? Is there a vocabulary in your life that shouldn't be there? Words that you utter that should not flow from the mouth of a follower of Christ? Is there bitterness or jealousy in your life that should not be there? It's present, and you know that it needs to be removed. Is there prejudice? Is there some addiction, perhaps a secret sin that no one knows except you? It's there in your life. And if you'll just pause long enough today to ask the question, what's present in my life that shouldn't be there? Then I want you to ask another question as you take this inventory. It's the question that Paul asked in this passage. What's absent from my life that should be there? What's absent from my life? As I live in, as we begin 2020, as I live my life, what's absent from my life that should be in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ? How about a daily devotional life? Is it absent from your life? How about forgiveness? Is it absent from your life? How about a vital, living, personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, this morning, Paul says he stops long enough in his life in the busyness of his ministry, planting churches, writing letters that become a part of the New Testament, doing all of the wonderful ministry that he's engaged in, even in his imprisonment, he stops long enough to begin to reflect about his life. What's there that needs to be removed and what's missing that needs to be added? Now, once you reflect, ladies and gentlemen, I believe that we all come to the conclusion, we begin to realize a few things if we reflect long enough. First, we begin to realize what our purpose happens to be. Come back with me to the text, and let's see if Paul doesn't begin to realize and state for us our purpose in life. Look with me, verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself... Paul says, after I've taken this inventory, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Paul said there's something there. He uses this pronoun it. There's something there that I haven't laid hold of. The word laid hold of, that phrase means to grasp completely. Paul said, I'm reflecting on my life. In all that I've accomplished for the kingdom of God, there is still something yet that I haven't grasped completely. I haven't laid hold of it yet. Well, what is this it that Paul hasn't laid hold of? Well, it must be very important because look what he says in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, 
but I press on so that I might lay hold of that. But Paul mentions this it three times. He uses the pronoun it in verse 13 and verse 12. And then he says, and I haven't laid hold of that. Again, a reference to something in Paul's life that's missing. He knows it should be in his life. He wants it to be in his life as a Christ follower, but he hasn't fully laid hold of it yet. What is this it? Well, Paul doesn't make it clear in Philippians, though he gives us a hint in verse 12 when he says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. There's a hint. Paul says, I have not become perfect. But his purpose in life, this it that he is trying to lay hold of but he hasn't laid hold of, he identifies for us in the book of Romans. Come with me, if you will, to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Paul is very clear in helping us to know the it that he has not laid hold of. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew. Now, there are a couple of words we need to examine in this passage of Scripture. This word foreknew, it means to know before. For those whom Jesus knew before, he also predestined. The word predestined there means to predetermine. In the church today, you will hear people say from time to time, do you believe in predestination? My answer is always yes, but not as it pertains to salvation. There are too many verses of Scripture that help us to understand that predestination does not speak to Salvation. Let me share with you just a few this morning. Look with me at the screen, if you will. Next slide. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I, all of us fall under that word whoever. Predestination does not speak to salvation. There's another verse of scripture I want you to see. If you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans chapter 10. Male, female, American, Russian, Chinese, Iraqi, Iranian, rich, poor, whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a third one I want you to see. Second Peter. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no such teaching in Scripture that predestination from Romans chapter 8 applies to salvation. But Romans chapter 8 verse 29 does teach predestination. Look what you're predestined to be. Look with me, chapter 8 verse 29. For those whom God foreknew... He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he may be the firstborn among many brethren. You know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying that everyone that God knew would come to faith in Christ, he predestined those individuals to become like Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, that's you. And that's me. I came to know Christ when I was an eight-year-old boy. 
in the pastor study, First Baptist Church, Panama City, Florida. Bill Hickam was my pastor. My mother had carried me to see Brother Bill. I had expressed to her that week that I wanted to give my life to Jesus. She carried me to see our pastor. There in the pastor study, he lovingly, tenderly, simplistically shared the gospel of Christ so an eight-year-old boy could come to faith in Christ. I bowed my head. I opened my heart, invited Jesus to come in to forgive me, to save me, to be my Lord and Savior. And in that moment that I trusted Christ, I was predestined to become like Christ. And so were you. And so was Paul. And Paul in Philippians chapter 3 is taking inventory of his life. And by this point, he has planted multiple churches. He is engaged in missionary activities. Next to Jesus, he's the number two figure in all of the New Testament. But Paul says, I have not obtained it yet. In essence, Paul is saying, I am not like Christ. There's more growth that I need, more maturation that I need. I need to look more like Jesus tomorrow than I look today. And ladies and gentlemen, the same is true for your life and mine as we enter the year 2020. We need to think more like Jesus and speak more like Jesus and act more like Jesus and love more like Jesus and forgive more like Jesus and care more like Jesus and be more compassionate like Christ. To be like Christ. We'll come back and let's look at this passage of Scripture again. Paul says... I realize my purpose in life is to be like Christ. He then says in verse 13 that I realize I haven't laid hold of it yet. Uh, Come back to Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. He says it very plainly. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I am not like Christ. So in your inventory time this afternoon, would you ask three questions? Three questions. Write these down. If you have pencil and paper, I want you to write these down. I want you to ask these questions, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. In my personal life, am I like Jesus? In my personal life, am I like Jesus? Not my business dealings, but my personal life. As a husband, as a father, personal life, am I like Jesus? Secondly, is my family like Christ? My marriage, is it Christ-like? My parenting, is it Christ-like? My relationship with my parents, is it Christ-like? Number three, is Emmanuel like Jesus? This family... This family of brothers and sisters, are we like Christ? Are our attitudes like the attitudes of Jesus? Is our willing to accept newcomers like Jesus accepts newcomers? Is our willingness to be compassionate and giving and sacrificial? Are we as a church family like Christ? Would would you be bold enough to prayerfully ask those three questions today? Because in your personal life... Paul is saying from Romans chapter 8 and from Philippians chapter 3 that Jesus wants you to be like him. In your family life, Paul is saying Jesus wants you to be like him. In your church life, Paul is saying to us this morning, be 
like Christ. So we need to take some time today to reflect. We need to take some time to realize that, that we're not like Christ as much as we need to be. There's more opportunity for us to grow. And so we come to the last part of this study this morning. We also need to make a resolution this morning. The same resolution that Paul makes. Come back with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Look at Paul's resolution. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to, I want you to underline in your mind that phrase, but one thing I do, because the text almost appears as if Paul is about to do three different things. But what I want you to understand is that the three aspects of action that Paul is about to perform, Paul sees that as one important activity in his life. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Paul said, if I'm going to be like Christ, I have to forget the past. This word forgetting is written in such a way it means it's an ongoing process. He's constantly having to forget the past, forget the past, forget the past. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Some of you, some of you are stunted in your spiritual development because you can't let go of the past. Something happened in your past or you did something in your past that you can't let go of. You might even say, I know God's forgiven me, but I can't, what? Forgive myself. And something in your past has you so focused and so chained and so in bondage, you can't become like Jesus because you won't let go of your past. Paul says, one thing I do, it begins with forgetting, to forget those past failures where I failed my Lord. Boy, Paul had some things to try to forget, didn't he? Before he became Paul, the superstar Christian. You remember? He saw the persecutor of the church. Some believe that when Paul talks about that thorn in the flesh passage, that what he's really talking about is his memory that he can't erase of when he used to cast women and children who were followers of Christ in chains and in prison. And that he can't shake those memories of when he was a persecutor of the church. And he says in Philippians chapter 3, if I'm going to be like Jesus, I've got to forget. I've got to forget the past. And some of you here this morning, that's exactly what you have to do. But it's not just past failures we have to forget, ladies and gentlemen, to grow and to mature, to be like Christ. Sometimes we have to forget past victories. Sometimes we, we look back and we see mountaintop experiences spiritually and, and we just live on that past experience as if that past experience is enough for us to coast through the rest of our life. And so we look back to a, a revival that was so meaningful to us. We look back to a youth camp where God really did a work in our heart. We look back to a former pastor whose preaching and teaching ministry was so meaningful and I grew and I grew and I grew and, and we can't become more like Jesus this year because we're stuck on the mountaintop of past victories. Paul is saying we have to forget the past. Failure, forget it. Success, forget it. 
Look what else he says in this passage, verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. Step number one, forgetting what lies behind. Number two, step two, reaching forward to what lies ahead. This, this phrase, reaching forward, is a, is a phrase that speaks of a runner who's running a race, and he's getting there toward the finish line, and, and there are three or four runners that are, that are trying to get to the finish line first, and, and all of them are straining. They're straining every muscle that they have. If, if you can see them in your mind's eye, you, you can see their, their neck is poked down, and you can see the muscles in their body as they're straining to get to the finish line first. Paul said, if I'm going to be like Christ, I've got to forget the past, and, and I've got to exercise and strain every muscle of my being toward the finish line. Now, what's the finish line? Come back to verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. One thing I do, I forget the past. I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead. Step number three, I press on toward the goal. Now, I want to show you how important it is these two words press on. Come back to verse 12. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I, what are the two words, church? Press on, verse 12. Verse 14, Paul says, I press on. This pressing on is so important, Paul says it over and over and over again. I press on, I press on, I press on. These two words, press on, mean to run swiftly. It was a hunting term of the first century. When you were chasing your prey, you're running as quickly as you can to capture your prey. You're running as swiftly as your body allows so that you can capture that which you're hunting. Paul says, there's something I'm hunting in my life. There's something I so desire. I'm straining to reach it. I'm running as swiftly as I know how so I can capture it in my life. Verse 13, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's the goal He's pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's the goal? Romans 8, 29. To be like Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, here's what I'm saying to you. The day you were saved, Jesus whispered a goal, a lifelong, lifetime goal in your ear. Be. Become like Jesus in your thoughts, in your actions, in your words, in your attitudes, in your love, in your forgiveness, in every aspect of your life. Become like Christ. Paul says to do that. I've got to let go of the past. Failure, victory, let go of the past. And I've got to strain to be like.
Jesus. Would you make that your New Year's resolution? So much more important than exercise or what you eat, even what you read. Your resolution to be like Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Some of you are here this morning and you've got to make a decision. You've got to refuse to let the past determine your present and dictate your future. You've got to be willing to let the past go so that in 2020 you can become more like Jesus than ever before. This morning we're going to open the altar for you to come and kneel and pray and whatever it is in your past that you need to bury, that you need to let go of, I'm going to ask you to come on bended knee this morning and just say, Lord, I'm no longer going to be captivated by my past. For 2020, I'm straining for the goal, for the prize of the upward call to be like Jesus. I'm going to be like Christ. If you need to come to this altar, you feel free to slip out even as I speak and come. Maybe you're here this morning, and what's missing from your life as you take an inventory is a personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross for you. If you will confess your sin to him, if you will ask him to be your Lord and Savior, he will step into your life this morning. He will transform your eternity. Would you come to faith in Christ? In a moment, we'll stand to sing, I'll be here to receive you. If you would like to come and Give your life to Christ. I would love to help you in prayer and to voice your heart to the Father. Maybe your church membership is somewhere else. God is leading you in 2020 to place your life and your family here at Emmanuel to grow and become like Christ and serve Him. Would you come? We'll handle all the details. Father, would you take control of this moment of invitation? Would you help people to let go of the past? Would you... Help people come to faith in Christ. Would you bring people to unite with our church family, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Dr. Chuck Register, interim pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, visit us on the web at ebcraleigh.com.